0: Turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We will continue our study of this stretch, verses uh, 5 through 12. We are going to be focusing on verses 7 and 8, um, but it's going to have to come to you in two parts. So, uh, bear that in mind. But I think it's uh, very instructional for us to understand this text in light of partaking the Lord's table here after the message. So I will have a word of prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord and we'll pick it up. Father, thank You. Thank You for... Being so faithful to us when we are so faithless. And Father, for your protection to us, your mercy and your grace to us. And Father, the privilege of possessing your word. Father, the privilege, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, and the privilege of being in the house of the redeemed, the foundation and the pillar of truth, Your church. Lord, I ask that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear this text, that it is real to us, that it is alive to us, and that we flesh this out. Help us, Father, to Your glory and praise. Amen. Verse five, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just, pa- just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective ministry is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. <clears throat> so let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. This is a fascinating text, and I shared that because there's a sandwich between two sayings here, and the sayings are this. That um, The work of the Lord. And that's what I've entitled this series, Doing the Lord's Work the Lord's Way. And Paul, Paul told the Corinthians coming out of the resurrection text in chapter 15 that doing the Lord's work the Lord's way, you would not have your work done in vain. And then he says here in verse 10... Of chapter 16, that he that Timothy is doing the Lord's work as he also is doing the Lord's work. I want you guys to think about something because basically what we're talking about is ministry. All right? And we have a flawed view in the church in America of what is ministry. Uh, and, and it has come from many, many, many generations. And basically what it happens is, is that the church is higher. Ministers. Okay, and their responsibility is to minister. And what we want to do is get enough butts in the pew that we can hire ministers for the elderly, we can hire ministers for the young people, we can hire ministry for the children, we can hire ministries for this, and we'll do this. And basically, what we're doing is hiring ministers. Okay. The problem with that is that it's not biblical and if I'm truly honest with scripture it is frowned upon okay Uh, and and yet I I watch it on a consistent basis there's three churches in Castle Rock right now who are out on the world wide web looking for ministers alright and the truth is if you look at the biblical model each of us are ministers. We each have a ministry. All right. And it is my responsibility to be training men to take over when I'm gone. All right. I mean, that's that is That is what we're here about. And so when you look at this, I've got six things here on. We need to be looking at these things as we are doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Okay, the first one that we've seen there in verse five, Paul wanted to come back to uh, Corinth. It was obvious Corinth had some problems. All right. And he wanted to come back and help rectify the problems, help what was going on. That was his vision. But he had a vision that said, you know what? I have an effective door for ministry here in Ephesus and I will stay on until Pentecost to finish this up. All right. And then I'm going to go up through the underbelly of Europe up through Macedonia. That's the northern part of the Greek peninsula. And then I'm going to slide back down to you guys. And then perhaps I can be there by late summer, early fall. And I'll winter with you because, you know, Paul looked at it and said, you know what? This won't be a cursory. Let's do a Bible conference. And this is fixed. Okay. When you look at people getting drunk at the Lord's table, (laughs) your church has a problem. Okay, When you see people running around saying you're more spiritual and you're more effective if you're single. Or you're more effective and you're more spiritual if you're married. Uh, when the, you see the corruption of the spiritual gifts and the perversion of the spiritual gifts. This church had some problems. The doctrine was in place. But basically what the tr- problem with the church in Corinth is, was... Is, and I believe that is, has immersed itself in the United States church is what I call spiritual arrogance. We've got it. And if you don't believe me, why do we, a church grow numerically and immediately the pastor does what? Writes a book on this is how we're going to do it. All right? Listen, you don't have to write a book on how to grow the church. I got one. Okay. I don't, I don't need church growth. You know what? I don't even need a stewardship drive. If God isn't moving in your heart to give, let's <clears throat> tween you and Him. All right. So when you have a vision, you're saying, here's what the Lord's work is evangelism and edification. Okay. It's either going to be in one of those two. All right. And how do I accomplish it? Okay. And what is my part in the accomplishing of that? All right. The other thing that we looked at last week was you have to be flexible. You have to have flexibility doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. And I have shown you that Paul had to learn that flexibility where the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to Asia, wouldn't let him go south, wouldn't let him. So he was running out of options. Okay, and we have to have flexibility. There are things that will be burning in our souls that we want to see done. And the person doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, is looking at what he's doing or she is doing right now with the bigger view out there. Okay, and they're always looking and seeing things that are lacking that need to be done. And that will bring us into what we're going to look at today. Because the Lord's servant... The minister all right, has to have commitment. If you're going to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, you have to have commitment. All right? Here's why I say that. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> I'll pick it up at the end there of verse 6. Perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way. All right, so that's, that's a combination you see there. He says, I have a plan. Here's my vision. I'm flexible in my vision, but it is obvious I don't want to just pass by. Verse 7, I do not wish to see you in just passing, for I hope to what? Amen. Remain. Uh, the King James will call it abide. Anytime you see abide, it means to remain, to stay, to stick with. He who abides in me, I will abide in him. All right. So I want to abide. All right. Their commitment will not be superficial. Look at the body of Christ today. Okay. This commitment of doing the Lord's work has in, in mind a thoroughness, a thoroughness. Okay, He says, I will winter with you. Now listen, he had already been with him 18 months. He'd been gone for a while. But some issues have arose and he is coming back to help straighten them out. But he says, you know what? If there's enough issues here, maybe it'll take the winter. Okay? He told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 when he was getting ready to leave. Know this, ravenous wolves will come in from behind me. And we'll want to scatter the flock. Everywhere the Apostle Apostle Paul established a church, he had fakers come in behind him and try to destroy the work. And they will infiltrate it. The church in Corinth had bought into humanism. They had let the society influence the body of Christ. Look at the church today in America. Just look at it. Okay, look at what you deal with. There's times when you will hear, and, and I love you guys, when, when you say I step on your toes. Okay, I don't have that big of feet. Okay, but there's reasons that I step on your toes and every time that I have ever experienced it, the reason is you've got enough of the world right here that God's stuff don't mix. And so it comes my fault. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, okay. By the way, just a footnote for you. The Apostle Paul um, did get back. And he did stay the winter with the church in Corinth. Okay. um, He wrote 1 Corinthians in the spring just before Pentecost. And sometime probably in June or July, he ended up back in Corinth. And he went to Macedonia after Corinth. Okay, and so he spent the winter there, he wanted to tarry there, he wanted to be there for a while, and he says there in verse seven i just don't i don 't want to just walk by and wave at you. I want to sit down, I want to break bread with you like he told the Romans, I want to bear fruit with you like he did with the church in Rome. He says, I want to straighten this out, I want to spend some time. There is a commitment. That the Apostle Paul had for this body of believers. Listen, we've been through this book. These were some knuckleheads. However you slice it and it gets worse than that. You will find out in 2 Corinthians that literally somebody in a church service stood up. And said the Apostle Paul is selling the message of grace to have sexual favors with women. Why Paul is in the congregation. And you know what bothered Paul? Nobody stood up to defend him. This was a, a mess. This was a mess. And so he says, I want some time. See, he looked at the... Church in Corinth, that situation, and he saw a need. He is in an effective ministry in Ephesus, but he saw the need back in Corinth, and he was trying through his vision, I need to get back and take care of this need. And, but the reason that he did it was because he had a commitment to the thoroughness. Necessary. There wasn't anything superficial about the Apostle Paul. The church today doesn't even make superficial. You can't even see it as superficial. It isn't that deep. And maybe even some in this room are a little superficial. See, He looked at the long range involvement. Listen, I, I have to take you back a few years, brothers and sisters. Just a few. This goes back a little ways to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore okay you see the reason right why the authority alright do you understand what is being said here Jesus ain't saying you know what I think this is a good idea he says because all of existence is under my authority go Make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now let me explain something in that text. That is a non-negotiable. Okay? You can't teach somebody to observe all the things that God has commanded without investing your life in them. It isn't a cursory. Hallelujah, brother. Get her done. You have to be involved. You have to be there. And you know what? You really need to know something to say. Which means that you need to be discipled and as you are being discipled guess what you will make disciples and it is the it, it is growth by multiplication you take one person discipling this person who disciples this person disciples this person and this person and this person and also it starts replicating and you know what teaching them all the things I have commanded you can you do that in one message And everybody says, Terry, the way you preach, you can't do that in one lifetime. (laughs) I mean, you've been seven years in this letter, dude. Eight years in this letter. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I was eight years in Matthew. All right. You have to invest. There's nothing superficial about this. All right. That takes commitment. The Apostle Paul was committed to this. It it, it is a commitment to thoroughness. Do you understand that? Paul's intent was not a quick stop, you know, away from the road, say, hey, I hope you got my letter. hope it all works out. Catch you later. Listen, he knew the needs were great in this church. You know what? The needs in this church are great. Okay? Not as bad as this one. But it's still, look at the contents of the letter. And he wanted to remain there. He'd already been there 18 months and planted a church and brought in great speaking. I mean, he had Apollos who had been trained and was excellent in the scriptures. He had been, you know, he was in Ephesus how long? Three years. And he was laboring there. He took three missionary journeys. Did you know that? And all three of them, he went through Galatia. Why? To keep strengthening them. To keep strengthening them. Three times. Why? That's that thorough work that he's talking about. And listen, you've got to understand something. You have a slanted view, brothers and sisters. You keep thinking, well, he was all in there 18 months, teaching from house to house, day and night. I could get to Corinthians a lot faster if you guys would invite me over. (laughs) Shall I tell you what I like to eat? (laughs) Do I want to tell you about the time that he taught from early in the morning till midnight? Do you want those? Listen, this dude knew what was on on, on the plate and he had a commitment to it. He was running himself ragged. And in the middle of that, you know what he's doing? He's earning a living. Paul was thorough. And you know what? This is so important. This is so important. Listen, I I give you an illustration. If you you go build a house, what? You got to build it by plans, right? To code, right? And then what happens? It's inspected, right? If I'm doing the Lord's work, who's the inspector? I'm thinking if you're going to have him inspect it, you might want to be a little more thorough. You may want to pay attention to the material that you're using, right? Right? And you want to make sure that all of your jots and your tittles are in order. And and, and when you short-circuit this thing, you're in trouble. It's... I'm in the pastorate for one purpose. Okay? I have... uh, a very myopic vision. Okay. I, I know. Everybody says, we know that. All right. my My vision is simple. Discipleship. Please hear what I'm saying. My vision is not mentoring you. My vision is discipleship. And everything I do is based on discipleship. I don't care what it is. Everywhere I go and everybody I'm listening to is either directly or indirectly discipling me so that I can regurgitate it back to whoever God brings into my life. That is it, brothers and sisters. That is the only reason that I'm in the pastorate. And you know what? What? There is so much out there today that lacks thoroughness. It is non-existent. You know what? I am so grateful to God for one thing, and and, and it's taken a process for me to get to this position. But I can now teach multiple texts at one with thoroughness. Because I I remember when I first started, man, I had one text, and that's it, buddy. You're going to get that on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays. No. You know, but uh, but I, I but now after years and years and years, he's allowed my poor little old pea brain to expand out where I can tackle a couple of things at once and and be thorough with it. I find myself at times teaching things that are repetitive. Okay, and I keep thinking, Man, I don't want to do this because they've already heard that. But then I start looking around, thinking they didn't need to hear it again. Why? I will never cease to what? Remind you of this great salvation that we have. Listen, I'm going to ask you a simple question. What is your depth? Are you here to do something thorough? Or are you just here? I'm supposed to be here on Sunday. See, listen, God will bless, and, and, and the only way that to do the, the Lord's work is the way he did it. He lived with them yahoos for three years. He was involved day and night, teaching, preaching. How important was it? I mean, don't get me. He could do some things that I can't do. All right? You don't want me to try to create bread. Okay, you definitely don't want me to try to raise the dead. Okay, um, you—I I told you a, a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, I did walk on water, so that's that's okay. You don't want me to try to make the storm stop. Okay, it would be like Franklin flying a kite with a key on it. Look, electricity. Okay, I know Friday. <laughs> He's out in the rain. In the, anyway, uh, <laughs> just wasn't flying a kite. All right. But it's stuff like that. There's things that Jesus could do. But I want you to think about something here. This comes out of First or Second Peter, and this is Peter. Okay, this is the guy who's seen the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, as Elijah and Moses. Moses, right? Remember. Okay, and, you know, hear the voice out of heaven say, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter would did say, We should build a temple here. <laughs> and I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I'm just going to stay. Why? This is good. Okay, but, you know, this is the same Peter. This is the Peter who got out of the boat. Okay? And, you know, he, well, he sunk. Well, I don't care. He still got out of the boat. Okay, I'd have got out of the boat when he made the storm quit. I'm out of here. (laughs) This is crazy stuff going on now. Okay, this is the one who cut out Melchizedek's servant's ear. All right, I'm ready to fight for you because, you know, they're going to kill me. Will you raise me from the dead there, please? (laughs) Because they're soldiers and I'm a fisherman and I'm not very good at it and I only got this knife. Here's what he says. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, beginning at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what he's saying there? That's the Mount of Transfiguration. I seen him pull back the veil of humanity, and then I heard the Father in heaven say, This is my son. Okay, now listen, however you cut that thing, that would be an experience. Would it? That'd be one of them you're like, Uh oh. <laughs> you know, I don't care who you are. The first part of you're going to think, I'm not sure this is going to end well. <laughs> I mean, we, we could end up like ashes. Okay? For when we received honor and glory from God, the father, such as an utterance, as this was made to him by the majesty glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, I heard God speak from heaven and Jesus pulled back his humanity and show us his glory and exaltation. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay. It was just a mountain side until Jesus does his thing. And now it's a holy mountain. Look what he says. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Did you get that? You know, what's more important to Peter. The word. Why? What is the great commission? Teaching them the things I taught you. Where would you find that information? In the book. And he said, even though I saw Jesus' glory and majesty on that mountain, even though I heard the voice of God speak from heaven, I have the word. And that was more important. That was more important. So we have the prophetic word word made more sure so that we would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars arise in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Did you get that? But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You got that? I don't need books about the Bible. I need the Bible, men moved by the Holy Spirit, utterance speaking forth of God. If you're going to make disciples, then you have to have a thoroughness to what? The word of the Lord. Why does God give you the church? He help me with bread and rent, phone calls, phone bills. Why do we have the church? Because he has gifted men to do what? To preach and teach so that the saints would be strengthened for the work of ministry. Oh. I thought we were supposed to preach so we could hire more ministers. I got a whole room full of them. Whole room full of them. You know what's amazing about that text I just gave you? If you go back to this thing and you look at it as it was originally written, it's a letter, right? Anybody here write a letter? It's chapter one, chapter two. Okay, if I read this, he says, I didn't follow clearly desired tales. We didn't make this up. He says, listen, I was there when God spoke from heaven that this is my son. And yet I cherish the prophetic word of God more so than that. All right. And you would do what? To pay attention, to pay attention to this. Why? What does the text that follows it say? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed... They will exploit you with false words that their judgment of long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sin, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, preacher of righteousness and seven others when he brought the flood forth flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes and having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men... Do you see what he just said? He says, you need to understand something. There will be a whole bunch of false teaching out there, and if you don't cherish the Word of God you're going to get caught. And you will step into it and it will roll you up. And if you think that it ain't wrong, don't understand this. God never let any of these people off the hook. Okay, have you ever gotten one of them tickets and say ignorance of the law is not an excuse? If that works in a human court, how's it going to work in God's court? I've never had one of those tickets. I've always been aware of when I broke the law. <laughs> I've n- never been ignorant about that. Do you see what I'm trying to get at, though, brothers and sisters? Do you understand that? He says, even in light of me seeing the Mount of the Transfiguration doesn't compare to the prophetic word. Why? Because the Mount of the Transfiguration will not defend you against false prophets and destructive heresies that will ensnare you and make you ineffective. Therefore, if you are going to do the Lord's work, brothers and sisters, you've got to be thorough in your book. Listen, I want you to be aware of this. It doesn't say Terry needs to be thorough in the book. It doesn't say as the elders or the preacher goes and makes disciples. Who makes disciples? All of us. And let me ask you a question. Are you now? And if you are, are you thorough? And if you're not, you know why you're not? Because you're not thorough. God is not going to use you if you don't know what you're talking about. It's that simple. And you know what? It is a long and exhaustive labor, but it will be a labor of love. Colossians chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 says this, To whom the Lord, God willed to make known what was the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Linsky On this text here says, This is the minister of ministry. Did you get that? I know that's kind of cool. The minister of ministry. How do you minister? Through your ministry. Christ in you, Paul says, we preach and we warn and we teach. Okay, Christ in you, and I have to warn you about this, and I want to teach you about this, okay? Paul is saying, we want to teach everybody everything all the time that we may all be mature. Now, there's a job description. (laughs) But you know what you have to do to walk into that? You have to be committed. You have to be committed. That's thoroughness. You know what? Um, in Thessalonians, the Thessalonian letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul didn't get a lot of time in Thessalonica. Uh, I figured that he had probably about three months uh, he went through three Sabbaths. And that's the reason they went through three Sabbaths. Is that's how he normally did it as, as, a, as a Pharisee. He wore his robe and he could teach in a synagogue as a traveler. He could just come in and start teaching. Okay. And by the third Sabbath, uh, they run him out. <laughs> okay. His, uh, he ain't buying that. All right. So they run him out. But he couldn't stay in Thessalonica very long because they were taking people hostage. They had taken a guy named Jason hostage who had come to Christ and uh, threatened to kill him. If Paul and his entourage didn't leave town and they were so militant in Thessalonica that he left and went about 50 miles to the west to Berea and was searching the scripture with the Bereans and they were eating it up. And the the synagogue leaders from Thessalonica came to Berea and run him out of Berea. Okay. is yeah, that's some hardcore stuff going on there. So he takes off and goes down to Athens anyway. Um, but I want to show you something. He was there for a short time, but I want you to listen to the heart of a man committed to doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. Listen to this. As we, night and day, keep praying most earnestly. What are you praying for, Paul? That we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. How cool is that, eh? He was there. He wanted to be thorough. He wanted to help them. He knew they had problems. If you read Second and First and Second Thessalonians, some people said Jesus already come back and you missed it. All right, and see what happens. You lay that foundation, and immediately what rises up? False teaching. But Peter already warned us. They will come. Paul warned every time when he left a group, guess what? There are going to be people coming behind me and try not to spare this flock. You know what? I see that over and over and over through history and to this very day. Night and day he prayed. Why? He wanted to see their face. Why? He wanted to perfect what was missing. There was a frustration in the man that says, I need to get back to Thessalonica. There was a frustration in the man that says, I need to get back to Corinth because they've got some issues. He was agonizing over the situations in fervent prayer that God would get him back there. Build those saints to maturity. That's what you see in Colossians 1. I want to teach you everything and I want to teach it to everybody. Why? So that you'll be mature and you won't be swayed by senses. You won't be swayed by emotions. You won't be swayed by false teaching. Listen, if you're not willing to commit to a thoroughness in the ministry, you will short circuit your effectiveness The Lord's way, the Lord's work and the Lord's way will not be in vain if you do it committed to thoroughness. Listen, if you're teaching the little kids, if you're working in the nursery, if you're helping with the soup kitchen, if you're doing whatever you're doing, are you doing it with thoroughness? When you are ministering to your neighbor and sharing the gospel with the coworker, are you doing it with thoroughness? Listen, it doesn't mean that you have to be a Bible doctorate, okay? Because there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, I'll go look it up, but I'll be back. Do you see see what I'm trying to get at? It ain't because that I'm a genius. I just read the thing. If you just read it, you know what? All you have to do is read it, and if you don't know what it's saying, say, God, I don't know what it's saying. Help me. It is not so hard. But I'll figure it out. I'll give it a dictionary. No. Ask the author. He indwells you. It is Christ in you. It's an interesting concept. People ask me, what is your greatest tool at studying Scripture? Prayer. Well, but what do you know? Sometimes it's fervent prayer. <laughs> sometimes, like Paul says, it's agonizing prayer. Jesus, I'm clueless. And Jesus says, Yeah, I know. You, you look, the, the battle that you have, if you, if you look at our culture, it is the same culture that you see the Corinthian church in. Okay? it is aspiring for intellectualism but we have a problem we don't want to put no energy into it and we want everything short and fast I have you ever really thought about a drive up window for food have you ever really thought about what that means that's an interesting concept do you know those people I don't know them people What if they're mad at you? What if they're mad at the person that was in front of you and they take it out on you? All right? But you drive off. I mean, have you ever gone to the drive-up window and what you ordered you didn't get? Oh, I didn't order none of this. What is this? Okay, and most of the time, what is our response? Oh, I'll eat it anyway. But we live our lives. we got drive-up pharmacies. I don't know about that. But when you look at our intelligence, remember the internet when it was dial up? And we thought it was great. This is good stuff. I- they use dial up in Orel, Russia. What the heck is that? <laughs> okay, and you, come on, baby. And I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. I started out with dial up. And, you know, high speed, all that does, I mean, I can get into trouble twice as fast. <laughs> Why can't I? I can delete. Oh, I deleted all that and I didn't even think about it. Whoops. Okay. And, but how do you get it back? A oh, hundred prayer. Okay. Uh, but, but I tried. everything in our society is quick. Isn't it? I was watching a thing on TV where these guys are making samurai swords in Japan. And the guys that take this stuff and they wind it up in bamboo. It ain't steel. It's just junk. And they wrap it up in bamboo and then they sit it down in this clay junk and it takes 35 years for it to cure into a piece of steel. And they're doing it for the next generation sword builders. And what they're working on, building swords, 35 years ago, some guy who's dead had put in there and now it is cured and it can be used for this steel. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. But we want 40 days of purpose. What happens in 41? 41? Okay, I went through and did a quick cursory study of the scriptures and everything I saw was done in 400 years increments, which means that you and I need to be faithful here, committed to this, to the now laying the foundation for those who will follow. But see, if you look at the church today, I mean, we got a church in town. that has got a, what is it? 29 minute sermon. What the heck is that? I I don't, you know, fine. Is there thoroughness there? I don't know. I don't know. I have some sermons that are longer than others. Why? I get the point across. Look, if you're going to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, listen, Jesus in John 17, to the Father, He says, Father, you gave me work to do, and I did it, right? I gave them your word, Guess what? They received it. And they're ready to do it on their own. Now I can return back to you. Why? I owe thorough for what? Three years. I did what was necessary. You see that with the Apostle Paul. How about you? Acts chapter 20. He tells the Ephesian elders that he, when he's getting ready to leave. He says, I testified, to you, I testified of the gospel to you. All right? Testify... Me, in the original language, the Greek is a complete thorough testing of it. I showed it to you under testing. okay? And that was always the way the Apostle Paul did it. He would work when he had to, but he would teach from house to house, day and night, laboring in the things of the word. You know what? That's how we should do it. And we should be doing it just like the Apostle Paul has told us in this text, to the limit of our capacity, to the point of exhaustion. Listen, if you're not willing to sit down and wrestle with the scripture to the point of exhaustion, do you really think you can sit down and give scripture to the point of exhaustion? You should never minister unless you're willing to make a commitment to its thoroughness because you're dealing with a person whose soul is on the chopping block. And I literally have watched Christians say, well, I'm only going to do this much and somebody else can take care of the rest. That is insane. In every one of those cases I have watched their ministries be short circuited. You should never teach until you have a total commitment that you're going, that you should be excellent and thorough about what you're doing. You should never do it. Don't step into it. It doesn't mean that I have to have the excellence to start. You have to start, but you have to be committed. Do you understand what you're stepping into? When will that job be done? When that person or people are absolutely mature replicating what you're doing. You know what? In a lot of churches today, I see them replicating what the pastor does. And that's a Shame. That is a shame because too many in the pulpits today and teaching ministries today are not thorough. There's a normal, I I remember a guy told me this a few years ago and, and I thought how, but he's right. He says the average Sunday school teacher is one paragraph ahead of his students. And I thought, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy because what that shows is that that teacher does not have a commitment to thoroughness. See, my ministry started out with a commitment to the word. Now, my commitment was wrong. I mean, my commitment was I wanted to find a contradiction in scripture. (laughs) Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? All right. I'm going to find something in here that ain't right. And I poured and I wrestled and I fought and I argued and I kicked against the goat And I thought, God, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> How stupid was that? But anyway. All right. And it was through that beginning thoroughness of the book that he says, now I'll move you out and you will have a teaching ministry. Okay? But here's the problem. We believe our ministry needs to be listen, I've taught VBS. Um, what grade was it I taught? They couldn't read. Yeah, pre-kindergarten and I, well, why do you teach them? This is easy dispensational theology. They're more teachable than the adults. All right, but you have to teach them. Listen, if you're not going to be faithful with the one soul, you really think you're going to get more. And the one soul starts with you. You want to be a worker approved. How? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Brothers and sisters, we're going to partake of the Lord's table. And the thing that you should be asking yourself is, is my labor in vain? Because what you heard today is that if you do not have a commitment to thoroughness, your labor is in vain. Your labor is in vain. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You, Lord, that uh, You gave us Paul as an example. The apostle to the Gentiles. Thank You, Lord, that You uh, saved him. And through His thoroughness, You give us Your New Testament, the bulk of Your New Testament. And yet, Father, we fall so woefully short. We ask for Your forgiveness this day. But Lord, we also ask that You would uh, give us a faithfulness to a thoroughness. Father, we'd move away from the superficial. We'd move away from the milk. And Father, dig deep the things that are You and You alone. Help us, Father, Help us to have ears to hear. Father, let our hearts be sensitive to your spirit, to your moving, to your witness, to your ways. That, Father, as Paul says, that I testify to you the the whole gospel, Lord. Father, may we test it. We test it. And then, Father, in that confidence, testify of it to all the souls that you would bring to us. Help us, Lord, to walk to your glory and praise.